Hello everyone and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we tell you about strange things that happen in history. I'm your host for this week, Barnaby King, and joining me as ever is my co-host, Amelia Edwards. Hi! Hello, how are you doing? Uh, well, it's warm. It is very warm. I felt I should say that first, because I know we're going to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is very warm. We are at the beginning of a heat wave, and uh, frankly, it's... Oh, it's interminable. I do not like it at all. I'm sorry. We'll go to the beach when we can. But despite the heat, we are going to soldier on, because at least it's not as bad as the heat in early 19th century London. Which is where we are setting our scene this week, although the heat is incidental in this case. But there was actually a heat wave early on in 19th century London that was apparently so bad, it was uh, in places, because of the brick causing a sort of oven effect, it was above the temperature of the blood in people's bodies. Oh my god, really? Yeah. Yeah, it sounds Uh, truly awful. London was just not a great place to be for like all of the 19th century yeah it wasn't a great place and there were also there were some people who were doing some i mean obviously there were people doing bad things like criminal stuff but there were also people just doing weird things i mean we love weird things we do love weird things which is what i'm one of the things i'm going to talk about today awesome so we start our story with mrs mary Teresa tottingham that's a great name. It is she a great name. She sounds like she runs through fields of wheat. <laughs> <laughs> That's just because of Theresa May. <laughs> yes, but she sounds like Theresa May. <laughs> yes, she does a bit. Um, but we are talking about her in 1810, possibly in 1809. Ooh. I think it's more likely 1810, but we'll get to that later. Around uh, the Napoleonic War era, then. Hmm. She was a widow at the time. Her husband, John Tottingham, was born 1735, had actually died in 1808. Incidentally, the year of the heat wave oh i wonder why <laughs> i don't know if it is uh as a result of or it's just coincidental but yeah, yeah. i don't know all right uh he had been employed as a colonel by the east india company oh nice yeah okay and the two of them had spent a lot of time in india it's presumed that's actually where they got married because there's no english record of their marriage okay they had four children together the first three were born in india and the final one born in 1783 was in london okay it seems that you know they went back after their family got big enough where it's like this is now inconvenient for us to travel around india with four kids yeah let's go back to london (laughs) So by this stage, though, Miss Tottingham yes. must be quite elderly, right? I believe so. I don't actually have her date of birth. Okay. Uh, we don't actually have a great deal of information about her. It's just this one particular event where she really sort of stood out in history. Okay. Um, well, we'll get to. All right. We the know- mystery increases. <laughs> we know uh, from John Tottingham's will that Mary was living at 54 Berners Street in London. All right. Now, some people listening might, upon hearing that, know where I'm going with this story. Oh. But you clearly don't. No, I don't. <laughs> so I'll go on and I'll take you to the 27th of November, 1810, It's five o'clock in the morning, Mm -hmm. and there is a knock at the door at 54 Berners Street. Oh, God. It's early, but you know, the servants are already up. They've got to get everything ready. Yeah, but I feel like no, there's no good reason to be knocking on someone's door at five in the morning. Well, this is a pretty good reason. They open it up, and there's a chimney sweep there. Oh, okay. And the chimney sweep says that he's been hired to clean the chimney. Right. 
and the servants are like, we haven't hired you. No, no one has hired you. Okay. Because Mrs. Tottingham wouldn't do this herself. It would be her servants who would arrange all of this stuff. Definitely. So they're just like, I'm sorry, you must have got the wrong address or something. Like, I'm- Is this some kind of early scam where someone comes up and washes <laughs> your windows and then tells, the, tells you that they're going to charge you for washing your windows? Possibly so. But they send the chimney sweep away and it's like, close the door and, you know, odd occurrence, but right, nothing yeah. particularly unusual. A short while later, there's another knock at the door. They open it up. And there's a chimney sweep there. Is it a different chimney sweep? It's a different chimney sweep. And he says that he's been hired to clean the chimneys. Right. And they say, no, this is clearly a misunderstanding, albeit a weird coincidence that this is the second chimney sweep to turn up uninvited, saying that they've been hired to clean the chimney. Yeah. So they sort of say, well, no, just no. Yeah. (laughs) Something's gone wrong here. We don't need a chimney sweep. Okay. They close the door. And there's another knock at the door. They open it up and there's a chimney sweep there saying he's been hired. Okay. This happens again and again and again until 12 chimney sweeps have turned up saying that they're there to clean the chimney for Mrs. Tottingham. Oh, these poor guys. Yeah. The servants managed to clear away the dozen chimney sweeps that have turned up. Yeah. Only to find a number of carts arriving on the street. Right. And these were the carts of coal merchants, all saying that they had very large orders of coal for Mrs. Tottingham of 54 <laughs> Burner Street. Okay. Now, of course, no such order had been made. And as the servants began arguing with the irate coal deliverers, more carts arrived. This time, they were cake makers. Okay. Delivering enormous wedding cakes to Mrs. Tottingham at 54 Burner Street. Okay. Doctors arrived, apparently there to treat a critically ill woman, Mrs. Tottingham. Uh, okay. Lawyers arrived who'd been t- who said that they had been hired to write the will for Mrs. Tottingham. <laughs> A vicar arrived to minister to a dying woman at 54 Burner Street. A coffin maker arrived oh to, uh, with the delivery of a coffin for a Mrs. Tottingham who had died suddenly. Fishmongers arrived and had to wait in the traffic because at this point there are a lot of people in Burner Street. Yeah. And, you know considering that we've just talked about there having been a heat wave the previous year. Oh I mean, this God, is November. Yeah, this but... is November, so presumably it's not so bad, but I can't imagine it smells very good. And it's probably made worse when 40 butcher's carts arrive <laughs> okay. with 40 legs of mutton for Mrs. Tottingham. Wait, each butcher's cart has a leg of mutton or all I... 40 butcher's carts have 40 legs of mutton? I was curious about this. I couldn't get an answer. Okay. Is it this just... like a St. Ives puzzle thing? I believe so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if it was 40 legs per butcher or just 40 in total. I think it it sounds like it should be 40 legs per butcher because they had to turn up with a cart. Yeah, okay. They also had shoemakers arriving with fresh new shoes for Mrs. Tottingham. Okay. Several pianos were to be delivered, as, right? well, as, as well as six stout men carrying an, a pipe organ between them. What? Yep. Jewelers, furniture makers, linen merchants all arrived and just added to the chaos. But it wasn't just deliveries and tradespeople. 
the Lord Mayor of London, who had a regular meeting with Mrs. Tottingham, had received a letter saying that she could not make their usual meeting due to ill health. So could he come round to hers on the 27th of November? (laughs) Okay. The Duke of Gloucester... What? ...had received an invitation from Mrs. Tottingham, who apparently he knew, so he turned up as well. Oh, my God. Some versions of the story also have figures such as the Governor of the Bank of England, the Director of the East India Company, and even the Archbishop of Canterbury... Amazing. ...invited to 54 Berners Street. By the time the the Lord Mayor actually arrived, the street was in utter chaos. The traffic had completely blocked up the area and was just at a standstill. No one could move. The Lord Mayor did not add to this. He understood that clearly something was very wrong. So he ordered his carriage turned around and to go to the nearest police station. That must have been a faff, though, to turn around a carriage under those conditions. Absolutely. It's not like a car where you can back it up. No. Also, okay, has anyone actually talked to Mrs. Tottingham by this point? We're not sure. Okay. It's quite possible that Mrs. Tottingham actually had little or no knowledge of what was going on because it was her servants who directly dealt with everyone. Yeah. So... I don't know. She did also have her kids. I don't know if they got involved. From what I understand, it was mostly the servants. So it might be possible that she knew nothing about it at all. This is just reminding me of that one episode of Parks and Recreation where Ron Swanson hasn't wanted to have any meetings. Yeah. So his assistant books them all on the same day thinking that day doesn't exist yeah and then it turns out that there is like a 31st of july or something i think it's 31st of march yeah yeah (laughs) well it is very much like that and this leads to hours and hours of chaos on burner street yeah and at this point it had become clear to everyone that they had been the victims of a prank that would go down in history as the burner street hoax okay As I said, it is quite possible that Mrs. Tottingham knew little to nothing about what had happened, uh, as the only people who were really involved were the servants. But even if Mrs. Tottingham didn't know, the tradespeople and dignitaries certainly realised that something had gone terribly wrong and someone had played this awful prank on everyone involved. Yeah. There was demand to find the perpetrator. An investigation was made... But no official perpetrator was found. Perhaps, though, if they had looked in the house across the street on that day, they might have found their man. Because unofficially, many people knew who had perpetrated this. Okay. It was a young man by the name of Theodore Hook. Right. Now, Hook was born in 1788 to a fairly well-off family. His father, James Hook, was a successful composer, and his older brother actually ended up becoming the Dean of Worcester. I think I've played a piece by James Hook before. It's quite possible. Because I was like, isn't that the name of Captain Hook? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, at a young age, Theodore showed some talent for music, which really delighted his father. And at the age of 16, he co-wrote with his father the comic opera called The Soldier's Return. Okay. It was really well received, and he went on to write some more uh, works with other composers. He was known amongst his peers, though, as something of a playboy and a practical jokester. (laughs) Okay. Now, this was not entirely uncommon for young gentlemen of means of the era, uh, particularly when it came to absurd bets. Right, okay. 
Now, clubs for young gentlemen had become increasingly popular over the years. These were places for young men of high social standing, lots of free time, disposable income, and very little thought given to their society, uh, social inferiors. Right, okay. Making bets was one of their ways of passing the time, and often the the monetary value of the bet actually wasn't that important. It was more about showing up your opponent in some way. Mm. This was quite commonplace and actually even exists to pretty much this day. I think of the uh, Bullingdon Club, of which Boris Johnson, our now disgraced resigned Prime Minister, was a member where they used to burn £50 notes in front of homeless people. Did they? Yes. Oh, that's just an upsetting bet, though. That's not a fun bet. Oh, no, I know. But this is what I mean. Like, they can range from, oh, that's a bit funny, to that's genuinely mean and horrible. Mm. But because they don't really care about people beneath them, they'll just do whatever. Okay. So is the Bullingdon Club one of these London clubs? Or is it like one of those ones that they have at Eton? I believe it's an Eton club. Isn't that the same one David Cameron was a member of? Quite possibly. The one that we all heard about. Yes, it's notorious for doing dreadful things. Oh, God. Can't they be more interesting? I know, right? But this behaviour was so prevalent at the time, though, that it entered into the world of fiction and kind of stayed there. I mean, we know that Phileas Fogg commits to travel around the world in 80 days because of he wants to win a bet. Uh, Bertie Worcester... I was thinking of Bertie Worcester. Yeah, he he has bets all the time. Like, constantly. My favourite ones are when they decide that they're going to bet on, like, a sports day. Yeah. That's wonderful. Oh, yeah. And it's like, it's a kid's sports day, isn't it? It's like, it's a school treat. Yeah. So it's like a kid's sports day, and it includes things like mothers and fathers races as well, which is very important. (laughs) But yeah, this was just really common behaviour for that sort of member of of class at the time oh god imagine being part of the idle rich i know right must have been really boring (laughs) well this is why they had to pass the time (laughs) doing weird things why didn't they just make a massive estate and dig a load of tunnels and then go roller skating yeah sorted that's much better and inconveniences far fewer people 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 sorry so theodore hook was no different than any of these sorts of young men and he would frequently get involved in these absurd bets okay and one such bet was that he could take any property in london and make it the most famous place in london within a week oh okay so he set about writing over four thousand letters to businesses services and dignitaries all for them to arrive at 54 burner street on the same day right that's quite clever it is quite clever and must have taken ages yeah because he would have had to hand write over 4,000 letters although possibly he got someone else to do it for him mm. and then he just signed it I'd, I'd imagine he's got some servants helping yeah, him out that, that would actually make sense uh, which means that he's probably got to, you know, he's got more free time that he can take up with more absurd bets. <laughs> or maybe he's just thinking of more places he could write to to get them to go to Burner Street. Yeah. Well, he briefly rented out the house across the street from Mrs. Tossingham and he and his friend passed the day there, watching as more and more carts and people arrived at the house. And they never thought to themselves, Jesus, we're kind of dickheads. <laughs> no, apparently not. <laughs> In some versions of the story, he specifically chose Mrs. Tottingham's house because she had wronged him in some way. All right. 
but there's she's an elderly lady I mean what yes. has she possibly done there's there's little evidence for this uh even in his own writings I think that maybe you know because she's an old, an elderly widow she said something or oh, insulted like, him. Like, oh these idle young men yeah. who are spending all their days on pointless wages and he's like I'll show her I'm going to do a pointless wager yeah. and ruin the businesses of a lot of people. Absolutely. But I think it's more likely that he chose her, n- not quite randomly, but um, kind of picked her name out of a hat almost. And he just, he wanted someone who was rich enough that these people, loads of different sorts of people could go around to her house mm. and also respectable enough that they would go. Like, yeah, you could like, get all these people there. But at the same time, she's got to be obscure enough that her house isn't already famous. Yes, absolutely. So he was probably like, ah, oh, the Lord Mayor knows her. Awesome, yeah. because that will definitely get in the papers. Exactly. So after the prank had been pulled, Hook managed to evade capture, uh, as many of his peers knew that he was responsible, mm. and he left the capital. Oh! <laughs> uh, he... Formally, the reason for his leaving was that he was going to uh, go on a tour of the country in order to convalesce after an illness. Right. He was away for two weeks, and by the time he returned, it seemed that the investigation was no longer the number one priority. Okay. So he was never officially caught. Uh, The hoax was covered by the newspapers and did result in 54 Burner Street briefly becoming pretty famous. Mm. He won his bet. And do you want to know how much the bet was for? How much? One guinea. Oh, God. Which is around ninety pounds in modern money. Mm, all right, I, that's still it's, it's nothing. Not, it's not on. It's nothing considering some of these other bets were were like one thousand five hundred pounds at right. the time. Uh, okay, <laughs> which is considerably more. This was clearly like a joke of a bet. Yeah, it was more about either shaming him or the person he made the bet with. Yeah. Hook's irresponsible nature continued throughout his life. Like at this point, he was about twenty-two. Okay. Um, but he didn't really change. Uh, he did have skill, as I said, with music, and he was particularly good at improvising songs. So good that he actually managed to impress the Prince Regent at the time. Okay. And Hook was gifted, as a result, with the role of Accountant General and Treasurer of Mauritius. Amazing. A yes. role which earned him £2,000 a year. Did he actually have to do anything? Well... He definitely did something. Okay. Because he arrived in October 1813 and he became really well known and actually quite well liked because he was really outgoing and extroverted. He held parties and he was kind of the life and soul of things around there. All right. And he seemed to be doing pretty well until 1817. Okay. When it was discovered that there were some discrepancies in his accounts. Really? £12,000 had gone missing. Oh my god. He was brought back to England to stand trial and had his entire account scrutinised. He was ordered to pay back the money that had been lost, so he began supporting himself by writing for magazines and newspapers. In 1820, he launched a newspaper, well, a magazine, I th- hard to tell the difference. Yeah called John Bull. Oh! Which was a proponent of traditional and conservative values and mocked many public figures, including the Queen Caroline. Oh, God, all right. The paper drew on the figure of John Bull, who we've talked about on the podcast before. Yes, we have. And it was known for being very witty and cutting, and I think there were cartoons in it. Like, you can imagine the sort of 
uh, political magazine that I'm thinking about. Yeah, like, I can. In in modern day, I think the equivalent, although it's not conservative, would be like private eye. Yeah, yeah, it's that sort of thing. And the paper was doing really well, uh, but in 1823, Theodore Hook was arrested because, despite the fact he had been doing all these things to make money, he had not in any way tried to repay his debt. <laughs> Amazing. So he was taken away and held in a sponging house. Okay. What? A sponging house. This is a new term I learned, and I'm surprised I haven't seen it before. It's kind of like a debtor's prison light. Okay. It's where someone would be held while they while people try and like take money out of their estates in order to repay a debt okay. it was called a sponging house because you're squeezing all the money out of them while they're there right like squeezing water out of a sponge okay so it's like people go into Dessa's prison when they have no money at all yeah but people go into a sponging house when they do have money and the state needs to get it back exactly okay yeah. that makes sense he did stay here for some time i will say that like he was there for two years right Presumably there were a lot of dodgy accounts to go through. But just speaking of sponging houses, uh, I have a description by Montague Williams, a London lawyer who wrote uh, in his work Down East and Up West Mm. from 1892. Ah, my dear fellow, you've never seen a sponging house. Ye gods, what a place. I had an apartment they were pleased to call a bedroom to myself, certainly. But if I wanted to breathe the air, I had to do so in a cage in the back garden. (laughs) Iron bars all around and about the size of one of the beast receptacles at the zoo. For this luxury, I had to pay two guineas a day. A bottle of sherry cost a guinea. A bottle of bass, half a crown. And food was upon the same sort of economical tariff. Sounds like a modern London apartment, to be honest. I mean, it does, doesn't it? Like, like, it's the thing, it's like having a terrible reputation, it doesn't sound nearly as bad as, like, actual debtor's prison <laughs> no. or anything like that. I mean, I love that he's like, ugh, and I've got, like, this teeny tiny garden, but it, it sounds like he has his own outdoor space, yeah, I which know, right? is not bad. Yeah, I think it's just one of those things that, like, uh, if you're of the elite, this is truly a terrible place, sure. but really it's like an open prison sort of thing i mean this was at the point where people could elect to go into the army instead of going to debtor's prison yeah like one of the characters on sharp is yes, a true, debtor yeah. and that's the reason why he's there but can read yeah well theodore hook was held in this sponging house until 1825 during which time he continued to write in order to repay his debt uh, when he was released he just kind of continued writing and it became his main source of income for the rest of his life An interesting thing about him, in 1840, Theodore Hook was credited with having sent the first ever postcard. Really? Yeah. Whoa. What is going on with this man? I know. It's really weird. The postcard was sent to one Theodore Hook. Of course, yes. He sent it to himself. Of course he did. How else is he (laughs) going to get the stamp back? Well, it was stamped with a black penny and showed a scene with a caricature of post office workers. Amazing. It's believed that basically he was making fun of the people at the post office. Right. So that they would receive this postcard, look at caricatures of themselves, and then basically have to send it back. Okay. I like to think that the people at the post office didn't pay any attention whatsoever. I know. They probably didn't. (laughs) It's like, we're busy, mate. (laughs) Yeah. Incidentally, this postcard is the oldest known postcard. It was sold in 2002 for £31,750. Which... 
I mean, fair play for what sounds like a shitty little postcard. Yeah, it doesn't sound great. <laughs> no. Now, at this time, Hook's health did begin to fall. Uh, in 1841, he was forced to confess that he was once again in serious financial difficulty and his ill health meant that he was having trouble paying it back. By the time he died in August 1841, his surviving estate was seized by the treasury in order to repay his debts. Amazing. He did have a wife and apparently six children, but he didn't live with them. I think it was some odd arrangement going on there. Okay. Do you think maybe his wife just kicked him out and was like, no. Quite possibly. He does sound like he was a bit of a shit. (laughs) Despite this, despite his really obnoxious nature, he was kind of remembered fondly. And his legacy survives in the writing of others. There are many characters who kind of have a more sympathetic edge to them than I think Theodore Hook actually had in real life. And the poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge said that Hook was as true a genius as Dante. I mean... This guy clearly had an impact on people around him. I mean, I kind of get it. Like, I guess it's that whole creating really interesting... Like, having really interesting ideas and thoughts and doing that kind Mm. of thing. Also, though, I mean, was Samuel Taylor Coleridge high? Because that is a strong possibility. Yeah, that is quite true. He did like the opium. He's also the reason why people think Hamlet is the best Shakespeare play. Oh, really? Yeah, before Samuel Taylor Coleridge got up on stage to lecture about how Hamlet is the best Shakespeare play. Yeah. Completely high, by the way. Like, (laughs) genuinely, I'm not kidding. Um, Everyone kind of thought that Hamlet was, you know, like a nothing piece, like, you know, as you like it kind of stage of Shakespeare. Because there is always that thing where Hamlet is actually kind of badly written. Yeah. Like, the timeline doesn't really make sense. People appear when they shouldn't. Yeah, but... Coleridge was like, no, it's brilliant, and here's why. And then he went on a really long rant, and everyone was like, he's right, and they haven't changed their mind since. It's brilliant, and here's why. But first, you're going to have to smoke one of these so that we can go on this trip together. <laughs> he's like, oh, you know how I started off my like my famous poem, the Kubla Khan one? Kubla Khan? Kubla Khan. Kubla Khan one? Yeah. Um, where it's like, it gets interrupted by... A man from somewhere oh, in the your... man from uh, Portlock, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, the man from Portlock. Yeah. Like, I think that's how Samuel Taylor Courage thinks about everything. It's just like, <laughs> it. you get halfway through a thought, and then you do something else. And that's what Hamlet's like, and I feel like that's what this guy's like. Yeah, that would make sense. And it would make sense why he's praised by someone like Coleridge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you may be questioning, what of Mrs. Tottingham? Sure. But, what uh, of t- what of Mrs. Tottingham? <laughs> Don't you mock me. Uh, <laughs> the story is less clear because being a widow of modest means by rich people standards at the time, mm. she was not particularly remarkable. Uh, as far as history is concerned anyway. So we don't really know much about her. What we do know is that she died in 1833 and she did continue to live at 54 Berners Street for that time. Uh, And she then left it to her children who lived there until coincidentally at least 1841. Okay. I think it's just a coincidence, but it's just that there was a census taken in 1841 (laughs) and her children were marked as living in that residence. Mm. Um, unfortunately, the building itself no longer exists. If you go to where 54 Burner Street would be, uh, there is the Sanderson Hotel now. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) But 
Despite the, this whole story, there is actually some debate over whether or not the Burner Street hoax occurred. The historian Sarah Murden, who I think we've actually referenced before in the story about the, well, the surprisingly sad story of the woman who gave birth to rabbits. Oh, yeah. Uh, she has investigated this story, and it's actually, it's thanks to her work that I've got a lot of this together, and it's thanks to her that we know that the woman involved was called Mary Tottinger. Okay. Because a lot of versions of this story incorrectly give her name as Tottenham. Oh, as okay. in the place. Yes. Yeah. Um, but in sort of official accounts in the newspaper, she's just written as Mrs. T. Oh, I see. Okay. But uh, Sarah Murden went through the various like, official documentation and has pretty conclusively proved that it is actually Mrs. Mary Teresa Tottingham okay. uh, who was in this story. But Ms. Murden also shows that if Theodore Hook did conduct such a prank, it was hardly original. There were very similar pranks occurring around the time, uh, which is actually one of the reasons for the unclear time frame at the beginning as to whether or not it's 1809 or 10. Okay. Because there is a newspaper report in 1810, but the actual occurrence seems to, we don't know. Could have been 1809, could have been 1810. Um, but there were at least four other reported incidents of these sorts of pranks occurring. What? Including on the 7th of November, 1809, it was reported that a Mr. Griffiths was the victim of such a prank mm-hmm. at his home in Bedford Street. Fortunately for Mr. Griffiths, he was out of town at the time, but the servant who had to deal with the masses of... Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, the- no. Sorry, it seems so much worse to be the servant who has yeah. to deal with that when your master is away. Yeah. Like, there's no one in charge, and suddenly... Oh, no. Well, no. what the servant ended up doing was just slamming the door shut and bolting it and basically hiding from everyone outside. Good plan. And this was probably good because... You know how uh, Mrs. Tottingham's entourage, as it were, included the Lord Mayor of London? Yeah. Well, Mr. Griffiths had his own sort of quirks. Right. A man from the Exeter Exchange Menagerie arrived to discuss the sale of a live tiger. Oh, my God. Yeah. Did he bring the tiger? I don't think he did. Good. But it's possible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I see. Oh, my God. But probably worse was the fact that an elderly man had walked all the way from Hammersmith to this house because he had been told that Mr. Griffiths was holding a legacy for him of £700. And he was very angry not to be given this money. That's such a long way. I know. It's such a long way. And... I feel really sorry for that guy. I know, right? You know what, though? The fact that this... uh, like this prank had been done before really means that I've lost all respect I ever had for Mr. Hook not that I had very much <laughs> yeah fair enough I feel like I'm really down on him and I should be like haha what no, japes no but, he is awful like, I just I hate the idea of disrupting people's lives in this way especially when it's like working class people who yeah. have stuff to do I think it would be really funny to send loads of notices to people like the Lord Mayor of London and stuff and be like yeah. this person wants to meet you oh yeah but it's when it's like the butchers and the person who's made a coffin yeah. and like all of this effort has gone into this thing yeah and a lot of that stuff is like you can't undo it you can't unbake the various wedding cakes no like the fishermen are standing out with their fish yep. in the streets this yep. is not going to go well No. So there are at least three other reported occasions of such pranks occurring between 1809 and 1812. But 
Sarah Murden is actually sceptical as to whether or not these stories ever happened at all or whether they were just ploys to sell papers. (laughs) Okay. Because... Aside from the newspaper articles, there is very little evidence of this sort of thing occurring. For example, you would think that in Miss Tottingham's obituary, there would be some reference to this because it was a very famous incident. But there's nothing, not even the slightest mention of it. We don't really have any particular evidence of anyone getting caught or being punished for these, anyone being fined. Very little at all. It's really just the newspapers. So it could very well be that, you know, they were considered harmless pranks, even though they're really not. And therefore, there wasn't much official record going on. Or it could very well be that the real Burner Street hoax is that the Burner Street's hoax is a hoax. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Well, even if these weren't true, I think that there's quite a good potential story again maybe not true yeah about the invention of the word quiz oh okay which is also based on a bet oh excellent but this one didn't inconvenience anyone except people who owned walls owned walls yes walls. okay <laughs> all right so i'm fond of a wall <laughs> the story goes james daly was a theater manager in dublin in 1782 and he once had a bet with a friend that he could introduce a new word into the English language in a day. Oh, okay. So what he did was he went round with a piece of chalk right, and wrote the word quiz all over the uh, the city of Dublin. Like, oh. all the walls, he wrote quiz on it. Okay. And everyone was like, what does this mean? <laughs> what a quiz. Oh, right. And so people started to associate the word quiz with, like... A question. Right. Because they're like, what does this mean? Yeah. Quiz. And then as a result, it became a word. Oh. See, I had thought, and maybe this is part of it, maybe this is why he chose the word quiz, but I thought it was because of the Latin quiz, meaning what? Yes. And it probably is that. But maybe. But to be honest, like, I mean, this is the fun story yeah, behind it. I'm thinking maybe that's why he chose quiz. Yeah. Because it's just like, it's close enough to just being what? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for listening to That Time When. You can follow us on Twitter at That Time When 4 and suggest episodes to us at ttwpod at gmail.com. Thank you, as ever, to Kevin McLeod for our theme song, Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby has used in the pod. And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and make strange bets with your friends. Or don't. Don't. Be nice to people. Bye.